I'm Marlo Higgins, and I've spent nearly four decades as an entrepreneur building boundaries around time and energy. I am captivated by stories of creating that mythical balance between priorities and success without the guilt and fear of missing out. I'm a to-the-point business coach that helps start a company, rebrand another, and launch my own. Now I'm running a thriving online brand with the white space in my calendar to spend time with my family, nurture my soul, and create an impact in our world. Are you dreaming of striking a balance between a thriving business and a joyful life? It is possible, and it starts with you. Get out your field notes, and let's tap into Peaceful Achievers, inspiring you to create a vision, level up your skills, and show you how to set boundaries that support the life you desire. This is 22 Minutes to Having It All. All right, welcome back to this week's episode of 22 Minutes to Having It All. So we've got Kaylee Zagger with us this week, and the episode goes into talking about self-care, right? Kaylee has had a personal experience. She lost her mother and has dedicated her career to improving the detection rates for ovarian cancer. She is a very successful leader and it's a female-led company. That's what Aspira Women's Health is. And it's revolutionizing the fight against ovarian cancer. And they design tests that are more accurate than anything available on the market to date. And so we dig into this. Kaylee shares the story of growing up with her mother's passing, how that impacted her as a woman, and the path that she has taken on her journey as an entrepreneur to tie her mission all together. And so it's a very, very powerful episode, we're going to dig into some pretty deep topics here. And, you know, it's all about the power of self-care and why we need to be doing this when it comes to having it all. I mean, making that a clear outcome that we want to achieve. And so enjoy the episode and we'll be again with you next week. All right. Welcome back. This is Kylie Zagger with us today on this episode. And she is the Chief Operating Officer for Aspira Women's Health. And Aspira Women's Health is a female-led company that's revolutionizing the fight against ovarian cancer by designing tests that are more accurate than anything else available in the market today. So Kylie and I are going to have a a wonderful conversation, very in-depth on the power of self-care impact that it's this pandemic has had on women today and some of the holes that that you see Kylie you know in where we're at with healthcare so I'm just grateful to have you and and welcome to the episode thank you so much Marlo it's a pleasure to be here so you know you've worked in this space for a long time what are you witnessing right now around the power of self-care for women today with the pandemic It's a very interesting and and actually quite sad time, I think, for women. The pandemic has disparately impacted women, you know, greater than I I would say men. We are in a, a moment in time where if you look at the woman in the center of the picture and you surround her with everything that that really matters, her health, her time for self-care, her career, the ability to care for those that you love, your marriage. There has been such a negative impact across so many of these different areas right now. And and I'm very concerned about it. So we've done a lot of work in trying to advocate around ensuring that that self-care is at the center of a lot of this, but also looking more fundamentally and principally at what needs to happen across all of these different areas in order to continue to progress as a society and ensure that we don't go into a societal regression. Now, you're specifically involved in the ovarian cancer space and and what a critical topic that is for us. What's your exposure to that? What's your experience around it? And give us some insight. 
So I was a 13-year-old little girl. And, and for the years of 11 to 13, my mother had very benign signs and symptoms, you know, modest lower back pain, feeling a little bit full after she would eat, frequent urination issues, lethargy. And she actually worked in the healthcare community. So it was quite ironic to see that although she had tried and, and spent a lot of time with various physicians, there was never a diagnosis. We have no family history of ovarian cancer, nor a genetic predisposition. And this all started at the age of 38 for her. And by the age of 40, uh, she was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer. So the average ovarian cancer patient sees anywhere from six to eight physicians. And that's over the course of 18 to 24 months where very precious time is lost for this patient. And, you know, the work really is in educating the non-oncologic providers because these women will end up in, in doctor's offices like a chiropractor, a urologist, a gastroenterologist that, that aren't trained on identifying ovarian cancer. So whether it's been inside of, you know, Aspire Women's Health, whether it's been inside of other companies that I've worked for in digital health transformation or the work that I'm doing on the nonprofit space, it's very important that education comes forward and that this disease and it's um, just such a horrific disease is able to be detected at an early stage when we've got a chance at these women surviving. So, you know, like I, I stated that you have, you've designed some tests that are much more accurate. Can you give us some more understanding about those tests and how that impacts what you're doing today? So there still is no early detection for ovarian cancer. Important that women understand that. The pap smear does not detect for it. The tests that Aspire Women's Health have created do not detect for it. We are still in the race to find an early detection cure for ovarian cancer, which is why understanding your family history is critically important. Understanding your genetic composition, very important. The linkage between diseases. We have a, a chief spokeswoman, Diane Powis, that works closely with us that, you know, her family was rid with breast cancer and she took all of the steps necessary in order to protect herself against breast cancer and ended up with ovarian cancer. So, Education is critically important and, you know, Aspira amongst a lot of other companies are in a race right now to ensure we get to the end game on an early detection test, but that is not yet available on the market. So what's the recommendation? You know, so if somebody's not feeling 100% themselves, really don't understand, you know, at, at what platform can we educate ourselves into the space of better understanding and knowing what's happening? So I think it's really important that women um, take a different mindset and develop different neural pathways. I'm a mom. I'm I'm a worker. I have friends, and I will tell you, I am I'm guilty, just like everybody else is, of putting myself last, not getting to the doctor's office, suppressing any of my benign signs and symptoms. Although I know at times that you know I'm not feeling how I should feel. So step number one is if you're not feeling great something is wrong and you have to advocate for yourself. You have to not be pushing those symptoms to the side and you have to keep going through the physicians and ensuring that you get to the bottom of an answer. And, and as I mentioned, sometimes a woman's body presents in very different ways 
than what the actual disease state is. So being very diligent about going through each of those physicians and understanding if there's a correlation is critically important. Knowing your family history, very important. If you believe in it and you're willing to take the step to understand your genetic composition, that's also very important. But as far as of knowing anything further about the disease, it's, it's really challenging. Very important, I think, to understand in some of these diseases that you do present in ways that wouldn't indicate anything going on with your reproductive organs. The signs and symptoms present in very different ways, as we've mentioned. So I think being aware of that, but I think the fundamental principle of ensuring if you don't feel well, that you get to the bottom of that answer, that if you don't feel well, there probably is something wrong that we need to have some clarity around. And and having women and women's friends and the families around these women fight for that is a very important step for us to take. So when your mother was diagnosed, Kylie, um, like take us to that space. I mean, you were a young person. Um, She had this diagnosis. What next? What happened? Yeah. So, I mean, that morning, she was fine. (laughs) She drove us to school that morning. We went to school and she never showed up to pick us up. A neighbor came a few hours later and brought us to the hospital. And my mother lie in bed looking nine months pregnant and her stomach just completely distended and full of ascites. And life had forever changed. At that point, we thought that the prognosis was only a few months to live, which happens to some women in the ovarian cancer world. We were lucky enough to have her for six years, three of which were were not good years and very much fighting the disease. And, And really from there, if I'm honest, what I learned about this disease is because of its devastating nature and because of just really the horrific path that women follow in this disease, it became evident to me that when women and families go through this, not only do you go through the the health component of this, but financial devastation, the community devastation, um, you know, the loss of a mother at a very young age impacted me for the rest of my life. And I do think it, it made me a little bit of who I am, but I would never wish this course on anybody. So, you know, I, I try to tell women, you know, in those situations at young ages, even if you don't want to get yourself to the doctor and and you don't want to advocate for yourself, you have to think about the impact on the community and the impact on your family and being a little bit selfish and ensuring that you're doing this self-care and putting yourself at the center of it actually is the best thing you can do for your family, for your friends, for your community, and ensuring that, that things can stay stable. Because growing up without a mother, it was a really, really challenging time for me. And, and I really think having a mother around and, and women happy and healthy and thriving is a very important part of our community. Yeah, I mean, and that's powerful, Kylie. So, you know, you became an advocate and tell us the, you know, the direction that you took. Now you're the chief operating officer of a very large women's healthcare organization. Take us to the steps and what you did in order to, to make that your reality. So I actually didn't make it my reality long time. I've been in the the healthcare industry for over 20 years. I started my career in GE's Global Leadership Development Program under the tutelage of Jack Welsh. So very rooted in financial management. And I'm a Six Sigma Black Belt. So I love the process orientation. 
And I spent the better part of my career after that in all different service lines of healthcare from electrophysiology, which is cardiac to neuromodulation to robotics. And I've really spanned all of it. And most recently was actually at a very progressive digital health company, informatics company, um, was doing some incredible things. And I was able to bring forward a native architecture cloud product to market. So I've had a, a wonderful career in the healthcare space. And, and I've actually always love to be around big transformation projects or builds. So I'm definitely not the leader that you want to bring into an organization that's growing at, you know, a modest percentage point or trying to um, just increase profitability a little bit. I, I am somebody that you want to bring in when you've got a huge lift ahead and either a total white space build or a pivot and really trying to do things differently. So so I, I never had an interest really in getting this close to women's health or oncology with my career because I was afraid of it being too emotional and too close to home. And I've always worked at really big companies, Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 companies. So this was a different step for me, definitely a transformation, you know, coming to a small company that needs a lot of work. But the, the opportunity was significant and an opportunity to make a big impact if we can do this right and we can actually bring the a screening tool to market was very enticing to me. So it's um, that's how I've landed here. And it's my first entree into the professional side of women's health and the professional side of ovarian cancer and finally bringing my worlds together. I mean, I think you stated it right there, Kylie. I mean, just the different actions and the directions that you've taken and where it's um, where it's brought you today and the impact that it is having. So anybody's listening to this episode, you know, just I don't think, like you said, it's it's exactly the direction you thought you would be, but look at how much you've accomplished and and just kind of following where where you're meant to serve. And I think that has a lot to do with it. Now, you just were on stage and you spoke at the Women and Worth Summit. Can you share with us that message? That, that you gave to that audience at the summit? Yeah, absolutely. It was a wonderful day. And we were talking about digital health and how women are taking back care of their own health through the digital environment. And I think there's some very important components of this. So, you know, if I had an opportunity or time, <laughs> I always tell my, my assistant, who I, I love dearly, Amy, if, if you can get me anything for Christmas, I need a time fairy. Because if I, what I could do with another 10 hours in a day, the first thing I would do is I would write a book. And the title of the book would be The Horizontal Healthcare Revolution that I, I still, before my last days, hope I have an opportunity to write. But I do think that there is this vertical approach to the healthcare systems. As much work as we've done to try to fix this, there still is a very vertical approach. And moving horizontally, where you can look across all of these care areas, where you can move information at the speed of light is going to save lives, right? It, it really is going to even mitigate something like ovarian cancer. When you think about a woman seeing six to eight physicians over the course of 18 to 24 months, no one talking to one another, nobody raising a red flag, thinking maybe there's an issue and time, precious time is lost. So this horizontal movement that we've got to get into, the only mechanism to do this and do this really well is through a rapid transformation of digital health, number one. And number two is, is just fundamental education that diseases are presenting in this way and, and start to cross-functionally educate our provider community instead of having them so highly specialized. But Worth asked me to come down and sit on a panel and talk about digital health and how women are starting to, you know, really take this and embody it and, and use it to manage their health. And 
you know, my message was just what I said. It's it, we have to move very quickly and we have to move to this horizontal care pathway. And, and a way to do this is with a digital platform. Um, and there's so much innovation right now happening around this sector. It's so incredibly exciting. However, because of the way women present and because of the way women discount their own symptoms, there is a danger in this as well if we don't do this right. For instance, I'm inclined on a telehealth appointment to say, you know, I've had headaches and they've lasted for three weeks, but no harm, no foul. I'm still working. I'm still mothering. I'm still doing what I do. Part of this is what women are born and bred to do, right? To discount our signs, to discount our symptoms, to not be as dramatic about it as maybe we should be. And on top of that, you don't have a physician that can then look at someone's body and say, something doesn't look right, right? And really sort of make sure that we're protecting women. So my fear in the digital health transformation, which again, I will note is critical and it has to happen, but simultaneously women have to start to take their own bodies seriously. And they have to start to really understand that we present in ways that are very benign. Even if you're, you know, undergoing something like a heart attack, it can feel like anxiety. It can feel like a flutter. It doesn't impact the way that maybe men's bodies would impact. And if we're going to move into digital health, then women have to start really taking themselves much more seriously advocate when you don't feel right, know that our bodies can present in a benign way. And it could be very serious diseases when you feel like it might be benign. And and we really need to take some ownership because it is a good thing that we're going to progress into digital health, but we have to do it the right way. Okay. So, and this brings a a good question. You know, you're talking about innovation, but anybody who's not hundred percent familiar with digital health, can you break that down so we could better understand what exactly is digital health? Yeah, so so there's a lot of various components to it. So inside of the health system, you'll see now that physicians are moving away from paper clipboards and ordering tests in a paper format. And most of the time, they'll come into your doc, your appointment and they'll have a computer with them. So they're entering information into what's called an electronic medical record. So everyone has you know a medical record inside of the health system. That's one that's happening at the health system level. And that is really to drive this horizontal care pathway that, you know, if you're part of one health system, every doctor would have access to it. Every doctor would be able to see your imaging records, your blood test records. And the speed of information right now is going to be the speed that we can save lives. But women simultaneously have also adopted the consumer-oriented digital health platform. So, you know, things like being able to look on your phone at certain applications and saying, I can get an MRI at this location or this location and I can see the price transparency. There are different applications that give you instant access to physicians or nurse practitioners. There's telehealth now where you can be a member of certain applications that gives you access and you've got a doctor at your fingertips to be able to talk through what you might need. So there's various components of this that are really beneficial for women in that most of the time, you know, all of us are having a hard time finding time to get to the doctor's office and things are so difficult for us um, with all that we're managing. You know, there's plenty of data that shows irrespective of your career path and, and how successful you become, you're still doing the bulk of the work in the home environment as well. And I think we all know that to be very true. So finding time for yourself and getting to the doctor is difficult. So where these these consumer-oriented applications 
are, are very helpful is that women might actually take that first step now to see a doctor or to get that mental health support that you need or to, you know, at least start taking care. But the problem is taking that next step that if there's a problem and if you have that telehealth appointment and they're telling you it's probably fine, take some Advil and it persists that you really get yourself to a physical doctor to make sure that precious time is not lost. Yeah. And with the pandemic, I mean, obviously there were some breakdowns happening. You know, people weren't so apt to to running into the doctor's office. So, um, you know, have you witnessed or are there any research or data right now that's showing, you know, how healthcare has been impacted because of the pandemic and people not wanting to go into the hospital or to see a doctor? Oh, there's, I mean, definitely there was elective surgeries that were canceled because ORs were converted into COVID-19 beds. There, the, the results of this, I don't think we've been able to track quite yet, but I, I definitely think we're going to see a negative impact on people's health. I mean, I know for myself, I, you know, I wasn't jumping into my doctor's offices or dentist's offices, but the data hasn't been released on the actual impact, but I, I will anticipate that, that we'll see an increase in disease. But we also are seeing an increase in this digital health revolution. So we're getting something good out of it as long as it's done the right way. And women stay at the center of ensuring that they're going to be careful about their self-health, self-care, self-preservation, and ensuring they understand the value of themselves inside of their family and their community. I think this can be a big win-win for everybody. But I I do, Marlo, to answer your question, I think we're going to see a significant impact on um, late-stage diagnosis and issues that come out of the pandemic because people weren't in the doctors for the last few years. Yeah. So being your own advocate, I mean, and that can be tricky sometimes, you know, you've got to, you've got to listen to what they say. You've got to ask a lot of questions. You have to know that family history. Like you said, that genetic composition is a key fundamental too. So as we're coming into the close of this, I mean, Kylie, there's just such amazing information. What's the the message that you really want to to leave behind to our audience as they are, uh, you know, listening to this and maybe questioning things, maybe uncertain, but maybe you've triggered something here. What's the message, Kylie? So if I could say anything to women or the the people that surround women that you love, women really have to change. Women have to start taking themselves seriously. We have to stop putting ourselves last. Martyrdom needs to be a thing of the past. If, If anyone who's listening to this podcast can can really listen to the voice of a 13-year-old girl who lost her mother then at 19 and the impact on my life and how difficult things were, it really is something that you want to hedge against if you can. And sometimes that just is taking a step to get to the doctor. And, and then you've got the issue of the healthcare environment where because of the way women's bodies present in this benign fashion, you might have your doctor say it's nothing to worry about or you've got a lot of heavy bleeding, let me put an IUD in and stop the bleeding. The answer to that is no. If I'm bleeding and my body is demonstrating some sort of symptom, there's something wrong and putting a quick fix over it or a Band-Aid over it is not the answer. You need to get to the bottom of things. You, you need to understand why you're body's telling you what it's telling you and ensuring that there is no, um, you know, chance that this is something that's brewing that, that you can, you know, get at early stage. And I think the final thing is we've made so much progression in, in healthcare and in innovation that if we can catch disease at an early stage, the likelihood of survival and a, and a wonderful survival and a long life is very, very high. 
contrary to that of, of a late stage diagnosis. I mean, ovarian cancer alone in stage one, you have a 90% chance of survival. And in stage four, you have 17%. So again, remember the fact that my mother had very, very benign signs and symptoms. And, you know, that all could have been mitigated had we taken those more seriously and, and really caught this disease at stage one. So don't let someone tell you it's anxiety. Don't let someone tell you it's nothing to worry about. If your body's telling you something, there's something wrong and we've got to get to the bottom of it. I mean, what a powerful message. And, you know, again, what a blessing to bring this this message forward and, and all the work that you're doing and the empowerment, Kylie. I think, you know, you're passing the torch and you're empowering others to to just go for it. You know, don't question it and lean in until you get a final answer because you're absolutely right. It's easy to sit on the sidelines and wonder, but the, the magic and the healing happens when we know. So what a, what a blessing. So thank you, Kylie, for being with us. You'll be able to catch all of... Kylie's information, everything that we shared today in this episode is going to be in the show notes. You also received the article of the Women in More Summit that she just published. And so, um, Kylie, thank you again for being with us today. Oh, it's a pleasure, Marlo. Thank you so much. Did you enjoy this conversation as much as I did? If you're looking for more conversations like these, be sure to subscribe and please leave a review of the podcast. Subscribing and leaving a review helps it show up on your phone every time a new episode is released and leaving a review helps other people like you find us so they can get the help they need so they can live their best life. Also, subscribe to our weekly email on our website at marlohiggins.com. This is the place that we share insider tips with our audience and drop polarizing insights with you. Remember, the road to success is better with friends. So be sure to share this episode to help all of you reach your goals together. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, success is universally desired, personally defined, and always within reach.